0: This is the Paul Bunyan Country Outdoors podcast, sponsored by Visit Bemidji. Paul Bunyan Country Outdoors covers the lakes, woods, trails, wildlife, and anything else going on outdoors in Paul Bunyan's playground. Well, today on Paul Bunyan Country Outdoors, we welcome in Don Eaton, an aquatic and vertebrate biologist with the Minnesota DNR. Uh, Don, thanks for joining us today. We appreciate it.
1: Thank you. Thanks for the interest in the Sigma crayfish.
0: Yeah, that's that's why you are here to talk about sig- signal crayfish, which have just been found in Lake Winona in the Alexandria area. Let's start with signal crayfish. What exactly are signal crayfish, Don?
1: Okay, well, you know, I'm sure everybody in Minnesota or all certainly all the fishing folks are familiar with crayfish, mm-hmm. and we have nine species here in the state which are native to Minnesota. In other words, you know, they're... Nat- occur here naturally. Uh, signal crayfish are from the Pacific Northwest, mostly like the Columbia River drainage, and they're native out there, but obviously they're not from our region. And uh, they're, a, they're similar in a lot of ways to our native crayfish in terms of diet. Uh, they're, they're omnivores like we people you know they eat plants, they eat decaying organic matter uh they predate uh other invertebrates they they'll eat fish eggs uh so so they and that's also very similar to to our crayfish uh the differences are they're they're quite a bit larger when they've reached maximum size so um uh, so let's say a typical uh, Minnesota native crayfish might be four to five inches long at its maximum size. And a signal crayfish is can get up to almost eight inches, seven, eight inches long. And they can weigh maybe three times as much as our native crayfish. So one of the concerns related to that is just because they're so big uh, would they have, you know, if there's an, uh, population that becomes established could they have more impact than say the other smaller invasive crayfish like the rusty crayfish which we have which is uh all we also have here in the state mm-hmm.
0: what would be the the biggest problem with that
1: They well and and i'm assuming probably your listeners also have heard about the problems related to the rusty crayfish. Mm-hmm. And they're they're from the Ohio River Valley, but one of the things is they'll eat beneficial. They'll come into a lake and eat all the eat a bunch of the aquatic plants. You know, it depends on the on the situation, but one of the things they'll do is they'll eat too many aquatic plants, so they're kind of a threat to like the wild rice harvest if they get established in a lake with wild rice. They can also predate fish eggs, so obviously they they can affect fish populations. They, can, uh, they compete as well with our native crayfish and other, like there's a bunch of uh, you know, aquatic insects which live in streams and lakes which also eat aquatic plants or they break down organic matter, leaves and things like that. And so a signal crayfish coming in would, would end up competing with our native species. And yet you can end up with actually a loss of species and a whole change in the food web, you know, depending on where it's doing most of the, most of its uh, interactions, you know, like if it's, is it doing a lot of predation? That'll affect, you know, other species using, using those same resources, or is it affecting the plants? And then you get problems associated with that. So it can, it can have multiple effects.
2: What
0: do we know? So far, about what's going on on Lake Winona? How many have we found on Winona?
1: Okay. Well, the the good news is, uh, and this was a this was a, a commercial harvesting company uh, who's been who seasonally nets this lake uh, and has done this for years. They they found one end of September. They found two end of September, and and because of they were so huge they immediately recognized it something new notified the DNR and then since that time the same harvesting uh, company has uh caught has caught eight more individuals uh all males except for one we they they caught one female which had has not reproduced yet we verified that but so so that's kind of the good news so not a lot of individuals yet okay and no sign of reproduction and then we and then uh we followed up with some crayfish trapping uh DNR did and uh looking more to see if smaller individuals were around and we we caught no juveniles no small signal crayfish so so at this point you know obviously we don't know obviously you know you can't say for sure that there aren't more there mm-hmm. Because you know we just need more more information, but uh, but that's kind of the the current situation. We've caught ten individuals, all large, and there's no reproduction going on that we know of.
0: So how would signal crayfish get from Columbia River into Lake Winona in the Alexandria, Minnesota area?
1: Right. That's a, yeah. That's the question, and and obviously we don't know. We do not know. And typically, just with crayfish in general, you know, uh, the the typical ways that crayfish get moved from, let's say, their native range somewhere else, is uh, they, it can happen through uh, the food industry. Uh, there's some evidence that, or there's there's uh, signal crayfish are apparently more becoming more popular within the food industry for a crayfish boil because they're larger in size. So and it is it is legal in Minnesota to import live crayfish if you have a permit. Hmm. So that um, so it could be related to the food industry. They're also used for biological specimens in in science class. Uh, you also need a permit to do that. But of course, none in none of those cases is it legal to release them into the into lakes or any environment in the wild. Right. So, so short answer, we don't know, but there's, you know, there's a number of pathways that could have, they could have come.
0: Huh. So obviously you will continue to keep close tabs on that. Would there be a plan now to maybe look at other lakes in the area or other lakes in the state, try to keep an eye on it, thinking it might be beyond just Lake Winona?
1: Absolutely, absolutely. And uh, in fact, when we when we were up there doing some trapping, we did do a couple of the connected lakes, a couple of lakes connected to uh, uh, Lake Winona. And we came, on, on, came up with only native crayfish. But, and then the plan is that they should be kind of winding down in terms of their activity as the water gets cold. And so in spring, we'll be back to do more trapping, more netting, uh, uh, and just to see see if we can you know first of all get an idea if they are there, if there is a established population um if there were eggs hatching it would it would be in spring mm-hmm. uh and so that's that 's next on the plan and then coming up with uh just like you were saying, like monitoring trying to get a handle on what 's happening with the situation and then deciding on some kind of some way to try and contain it either through you know an intensive amount of trapping. And then there's also in other, uh, there have been some successful attempts, for example, to reduce rusty crayfish populations by, uh, through game fish management. Uh, Because there are some of our game fish, which are big crayfish predators. And so, like, trying to manipulate the numbers of certain game fish, which would, would go after the crayfish. But that's more in the future when we know, when we have a better handle on the whole situation.
0: All right. Anything else we should know at this point, Don?
1: About the situation? Yeah. Um, I don't think so. I think that that's, that's mainly what we know. And, of course, we're talking with, uh, that this the signal crayfish is native to the Pacific Northwest, but it's been introduced in areas of California, Nevada, uh, in Europe. So we're speaking with other groups who've dealt with signal crayfish invasions and seeing what they have been trying to do in terms of trying to control the population. But yeah. that's that's what we know at this point, and and you know uh, we're hoping that it's just a one-off thing that there's not a lot of individuals out there.
0: Right. Well, Lon, I, I would assume if somebody's fishing that lake, or any lake really, and, and they uh, stumble across some crayfish that don't look like their typical Minnesota crayfish, they should let somebody know, right?
1: Oh, absolutely, and, and that's a great point, Kevin, because um, and, and one thing I should say, like, for a lot of the folks who fish, you know, our native crayfish are maybe, you know, they're usually kind of brownish-green. And it varies depending on the, on the environment. And a lot of times they'll have, you'll notice they'll have like little bumps on the claws and the, and, and, and the, the covering of the, the midsection of the body. It's called a carapace. But they'll have like little bumps and ridges depending on the species. The, the signal crayfish tend to be quite smooth. Uh, over the claws and if they if you get a live one for example a lot of times they'll they'll flash their claws and show the undersides of the of the pincher claws and those are bright red in signal crayfish and so that's an easy way to identify them okay and I should also say that if you're looking at them from above uh, you're looking at the claws from above, right where kind of the thumb of the claw meets the, the rest of the wider part of the claw. There's sort of a circular light patch, which can be sort of white or bluish, greenish-blue. And that's also, that. in fact, that's where they got their name. The people who named them thought these, these patches on their claws kind of looked like signal flags. Oh, Okay. Yeah, I was wondering how they got that (laughs) name. But but so, and the good thing is that none of our natives look like that. So, yeah, if you see something, you know, if any of the folks see something that they go, oh, wow, it's got really red claws on the bottom or you see that patch, it's quite possible that it's the signal crayfish. And you should definitely, you know, get a photo. You can take it to your regional uh, uh, aquatic invasive species specialist Uh, and you can get their names from the DNR website. Um, A good thing that you can do, you can just pop it in a bag and put it in the freezer. (laughs) Oh. And then let us know, and we, we can pick it up. Okay.
0: All right. He is Don Eaton. He's an aquatic invertebrate biologist with the Minnesota DNR. We're discussing the signal crayfish that have been found in Lake Winona near Alexandria uh Don, it was great having you on the show. Thank you for the insight on this and uh just appeal to all our listeners. keep an eye out if you're out on the water and uh and report it if you see it right Don
1: absolutely and absolutely- and Kevin can I throw in one more <laughs> one more little plug for crayfish sure just 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 so you know sometimes people you know they have a negative view of crayfish because we have the rusty invasive here and now well hopefully we don't won't have signal problems but you know our native crayfish do a lot of really beneficial things you know they're um, they're important prey for water birds and otters and everything else and they they do all the you know they break down organic matter they control aquatic plant populations so just so people don't get in other words you know crayfish are great when they're in within their normal range and they're doing their normal the the things they're supposed to be doing right (laughs) if that makes sense
0: gotcha Don Eaton, thank you so much for being here today.
1: Thank you, Kevin.
0: Coming up next on Paul Bunyan Country Outdoors, we have a question for the aquatic biologist and a Lake of the Week from the Brainerd Lakes area. Hi, this is Dick Beardsley,
1: Bemidji Area Fishing Guide. I'd like to invite you to come to our beautiful town of Bemidji. We've got over 400 lakes in our area teeming with walleye, pike, muskie, bass, and panfish. We're the gateway to the Chippewa National Forest. We've got miles upon miles of biking and hiking trails. Paul Bunyan invade the blue ox. Fine shops and eateries in downtown Bemidji, headwaters of the mighty Mississippi at Itasca State Park, beautiful resorts, hotels, and bed and breakfast. Visit Bemidji one step further.
0: Lake of the weekday, lake of the weekday, lake of the weekday, holy cow. And we are headed over to the uh, Brainerd Area Fisheries Office for our latest Lake of the Week. It is West Fox, and we're checking in with Dave Lockwood, a fisheries specialist. Dave, welcome back. Thanks. Good to have me with you, Kevin. So tell me a little bit about West Fox. First off, where are we going to find it?
2: Uh, west Fox is located just west of uh, 50 Lakes, just off uh, County Road 1 in northern Curling County. It's a
0: small, smaller lake. It's quiet lake. Nice, clear lake. Uh, nice. Nice place to be. So, is it one of those tucked away lakes without a lot of development, or is it pretty busy?
2: It's it's pretty well developed, but it doesn't get a lot of uh, access uh, use. There's a small access actually on East Fox, and to get to West Fox, you have to go through a small channel. But it's if there's two or three boats at access, it's a busy day out there.
0: Okay. Uh, so East and, and West Fox. So uh, let's talk a little bit about the two. Are they similar lakes as far as the type of fish that are in them, or are they different?
2: No, they're pretty similar. They each have. I mean, both have crappies are about the nicest pan fish uh, that they have. Crappies up to thirteen inches and fair numbers of them. They average around ten inches or so. Oh
0: wow! Um, okay.
2: Bluegills are run a little on the small side, but there is a few nicer ones. But most are five, six inches. Okay. Um, we, we, we do stock walleyes out there. We stock uh, fingerlings in uh, the Two Lakes. Every third year we stock about 70 pounds of fingerlings, and it, they do okay out there. We average between about one to three in net. And okay. They can, they can get pretty nice, too. We got them up to about 28, 29 inches in our surveys.
0: Yeah, I noticed uh, that, you know, there's not a ton of them uh, showing up in your nets, but the average size was really nice, over four pounds. <laughs>
2: Yeah, I, I don't think too many guys actually target them out there. It's more of just uh, incidentals or one or two people that know how to catch them, so they they don't get caught up as soon as they're big enough to eat. So,
0: right. Um, what about the bass out there? Is there is it a good bass lake or not?
2: They're they're decent for uh, largemouth. We haven't cut, we didn't sample any huge ones, but it's a good average size. They averaged about uh, about fourteen inches and. But almost ninety percent of them were at least twelve inches long, which is pretty nice for our lakes around here.
0: And you got some northern's in there. In fact, plenty of northern's. But still, despite the big numbers, you still have an average weight of over two pounds.
2: Yep, the northern's are higher than we'd like them to be at about ten a net, which kind of hurts the the fingerling stocking for walleyes at that point. But they they are they're nice, uh, nice uh, average size, about twenty one, twenty two inches. And biggest we got, I think, in our last survey, is about thirty two inches. Okay. they they're, they're nice some nice fish out there
0: so you you noted that uh, it doesn't get a lot of pressure I'm, I'm guessing east and west uh, both get similar amounts of pressure the two fox lakes
2: yeah they're pretty they're pretty similar pressure when we've been out there uh, working it's you, you see one or two boats on each lake is about it so it's they they don't get pounded too hard
0: yeah and I'm a I'm assuming that it's I mean there's is some but probably not a ton of uh winter angling either
2: Uh, honestly i've driven by in the winter a couple times and i haven't even seen a fish house out there
0: but it doesn't get much pressure in the winter all right so if you're just looking for some kind of nice quiet lake to be on that's a pretty good option it is and i think fish could be pretty good especially for
2: like crappies would be if i was going to go there that's what i would be targeting
0: okay now, for those who are not real familiar with the area, you did give us a bit of a description at the beginning, but uh, say we're uh, coming into the Brainerd area, where do we go from there?
2: If you're coming in Brainerd, you're going to want to go, if you're on the west side of Brainerd, you come up 371, come to Pine River, and take uh, County Road 1 to the east, and then uh, right before you get to 50 Lakes, you turn north on Peninsula Road, and the access right off of there. And if you're coming from... The other, from the east side of the Brainerd Lakes area, you, you turn in Emily and go uh, west, and then you hit the, the Peninsula Road and accesses off of that. So it's pretty easy to find. Nice, good roads all the way to it.
0: Alright, anything else we should know? Is there any AIS or anything in that lake?
2: No, not yet, fortunately. It seems like, around our area anyways, it's just a matter of time, but people do their best to keep stuff clean. It, it helps, and it's a nice, clear lake, so it's it's a nice lake to be on.
0: And... Okay. West Fox Lake is our Lake of the Week. They, that and East Fox are right next to each other. In fact, you have to go on, on onto East through the channel to get to West Fox Lake. Dave Lockwood is a fisheries specialist with the Brainerd Area Fisheries Office. Dave, thanks for your time today. Thanks, Kevin. Ask the aquatic biologist. Well, once again, it's time to ask the aquatic biologist, Dr. Andrew Haefs, another very potentially controversial question from one of his students. <laughs> Welcome back, Andy.
3: <laughs> Thanks for having me. I'm going aquatic- to run out of here if you <laughs> keep doing this.
0: He's <laughs> the aquatic biologist at Bemidji State University. Um, you know, it's, it's a good question, though. I mean, we know that uh, the technology keeps getting better and better. I mean, the ability to see exactly where fish is. We, we, we talked a lot about that last year with different people uh and now and our gear is better just the rods and reels and the all that stuff is better and uh, we're getting to be better and better anglers so the question is your student wants to know if you think regulations need to be put in place to lower bag limits because of this new tech
3: yeah that's a, a tough question i don't necessarily think it should be because of the tech okay right um i and i have uh a lot of belief in the MNDNR and how they set their regulations and set their bag limits. Uh, the M and is just awesome at what they do. Uh, and they're the most informed people on those population numbers. And the the interesting part about this question is how new tech influences our catch rates, harvest rates, and things like that. And um, it's not only just like, you know, the new Vexlars and things like that it's also the wheelhouses and that tech and then how so many people have them mm-hmm. um, and how that influences the ability to generate estimates i think that's the the really big thing remember the the agencies also have new tech too mm. uh, to help them generate the estimates they have newer boats uh, they can sample more efficiently and have all the electronics as well so i think um there's this evolution in how angling changes, and there's also the evolution in how the managers, how well they can generate their estimates and get their knowledge. and I think there's this race, race there, uh, and that's really interesting to watch. I think. And I to think, think about
0: the other thing that uh, you know to, to keep in mind is if everybody was in the mindset of the i um, feeding my family" uh, mode that a lot of anglers were in 30, 40 years ago. It might be different. But right now, the vast majority, at least of the full-time anglers I talk to, um, they're catch and release anglers, not all the time, but they're not taking everything they catch. They're, They're very conscious of what they're doing. They want the fish populations to stay strong. We're a very I would say very well-educated general fishing population in Minnesota. And and so that means that a lot of people are going out on the lake and they're not bringing home six every single time.
3: Yeah, I th- think you're right. I think there is this uh, conservation mindset that's, you know, in the current population these days, maybe more than it was, uh, you know, a while back. I just, I just think this is a really interesting topic and, and how this tech is going to influence our ability to catch fish mm-hmm. and, you know, I'm a big favor, a big proponent of it. I have the electronics, too, and I go out, and if if you took my showdown away from me during ice fishing season, I can remember when I was staring down the hole looking for (laughs) fish. So I I like sitting in my chair better. That's a lot lot more fun. So uh, I think that new tech has lots of benefits, too. It's bringing in new anglers. Like, you know, it is fun to use, and so we have new angler groups and – uh, that can use that and there's a lot of value in that as well so it's a, it's a balance for sure
0: all right um, yeah I, and and I have not heard anything from DNR personnel at this point thinking that that's something they have to be looking at so
3: yeah I, I don't know um, eliminating you know there's precedent for eliminating certain gears for sure mm-hmm. there's just I'm not aware of precedent related to electronics or limiting wheelhouses or things like that and those are things that are really influencing catch rates um, mm. substantially uh, there's benefits to them as well I just think we need to make sure that we know how you know the harvest rates are what they are that those estimates are accurate and that catch-per-unit effort for example a classic example of how we can some of these estimates are influences when you're sleeping in your wheelhouse should that be an hour of fishing mm. uh, or not? How does the creel clerk even know if you have your lines down? How do they even know if you're in your, your wheelhouse? Right? right. Those are things that make generating uh, how many fish you catch per hour, which are central to harvest estimates, very difficult right? to do. So yeah. how those estimates are changing with the new gears and new strategies is, is key and whether or not our estimates can be correct.
0: All right, he's Dr. Andrew Hafes of Bemidji State University. Andy, thanks for your time today. Yeah, thanks a lot.